Thank you for downloading this Standard Issue podcast. In this episode, we join editor Mickey Noonan on stage at MacFest 2016 and in conversation with guests Izzy Sutty, Amy Annette and Kiri Pritchard-Methane. All our podcasts are available on iTunes and directly from standardissuemagazine.com slash podcasts. Our guests tonight are Issy Sutty, Amy Annette, and Kiri Pritchard McLean. Uh, and let's check before we get going. Give me a cheer if you read Standard Issue. Yay! Okay, let's convert the rest of you buggers. <laughs> Great, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go in with a big question. Are you ready? Yes. How did you know you were a feminist? What was your sort of light bulb moment that you were a feminist? And we'll start with Kiri. Oh, okay, well I d- I I didn't have like a great light bulb moment. It was um, it was the first time I heard myself say out loud. I was at Weekstock Festival, which is on the Fian Peninsula, which is where I'm from Bangor, North Wales, which is where we go to take drugs for the weekend. <laughs> and um, I was hammered, and I was. We decided we should go swimming in the sea, which is what you do when you're on drugs and intoxicated. Uh, very nearly a statistic. And um, I was like, there was a path, but for some reason I decided to climb over a barbed wire fence. And um, as I was climbing over, this guy went to help me, and I heard myself say, get your hands off me, I'm a feminist. <laughs> and then I went, oh, I'm a feminist. <laughs> That's what happened. And then I probably slipped on the barbed wire fence. I've got permanent T-scars, I have one on my face as well. I got caught on the top, like when you see a big mug on it. Um, and I ripped my jeans, and I had to put them on backwards because um, the rippers have my vagina hanging out, and that's when I knew that I was a feminist. Really isn't easy being a woman <laughs> being a feminist. Very tough. Amy? Um, that just made me remember all the times that I was too short to climb over the walls and the fences, and I like, followed all of my friends who were boys, and all the times I was like, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, be a girl, you can do it. And the amount of times I really hurt myself. I'm a feminist, but it still makes my bits twitch when the guys do that thing where they put their hands on one side of the wall and then just flip over. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a good way, twitch. Yeah, excellent way. Yeah. I'm just like getting instant like, virtual craps. Like, <laughs> Um, I, I have the sort of the luck of having a very feminist mother, um, she's a publisher, a feminist publisher, and so I didn't know that I was a feminist, but obviously I definitely was, um, and so obviously that's fantastic, and what, what girl wouldn't want to be brought up that way, but it did mean that when I encountered sexism, I was so confused, I was so confused, it's like a little, I just remember being, the first time we were sort of split into boys and girls, and the activity was like unfair. You know, I mean, I'm not even sure exactly what it was. I just really remember this sort of like sinking feeling that like 
it just didn't make sense. I guess that's sort of like the post-world post ideal of our children being like, what's this unknown feeling, sexism? But I definitely experienced that. But I, I think I've always been, since then, been very conscious of how privileged I was to have a feminist mother. That's the end of my sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, similar to you, I, we didn't really talk about it a lot at home. I just always got taught that I could do sort of anything I wanted to do within reason. Like, obviously, I was never going to be good at French, which I felt <laughs> able. But um, what I mean, <laughs> yeah, my parents weren't like, darling, you could do anything you like, be an acrobat. But they were kind of like very uh, encouraging and, um, and and supportive of me doing this job. I think often I think of feminism in relation to my job. Um, but but like you, I like Amy, I never really sort of thought am I a feminist, am I different from men, I just always felt quite confident about what I was doing. And then it was only when I started to get asked what it was like to be a female comedian that I started to think about it, because that's such a bizarre question that we get asked time and time again. Do you still get that question? Yeah, absolutely. And then what they do is, instead of asking it, they sort of go, how do you feel about being asked what it's like to be a female? And you're yeah. like, you're still asking it. You're trying to get two answers for the price of one. Um, but I always say to that, I don't know what it's like to be a man. I can just say that I absolutely love comedy and feel very happy to be making a living from it. But there are times that you do notice um, the difference, I think, like on the circuit. Um, and I hate having to think about that. But there was a bit of like a moment where I was at like a folk evening with um, some of my parents' friends, and um, it was one of those evenings where everyone knows the words except for you. You know, when like someone picks up a guitar and is like, the maid is in the scullery, and everyone looks really solemn and sick, so I'm like, oh God. And for some reason afterwards, um, this guy there was like talking about, I'd done something on the radio, and was like, he said, oh, oh, I don't listen to Woman's Hour, you're not a feminist, are you? And then I said, yes. I, uh, I felt really offended, and that was like that was really reasonably recently in the last sort of five or six years. But do you think it's still quite a hard word to own because there's quite a lot of negative connotations about it? Yeah, and I think there are lots of different types of feminists. And I think there are people who th yeah, have a different definition of it. And I don't know what you guys thought about the Kim Kardashian naked photo thing. Yeah. Like, that was a really good example of something that got people talking. Yeah. I'm not sure how it's it, Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Girl who said that there's many types of feminism as there are women, which I think is a nice way of thinking about it. Like, I don't think it needs to be a catch-all you all have to fit into. But that's something that I really espouse, and I do realise it means that at one point we were doing a talk to this book that I was part of, and someone put their hand up and they were like, but where's the line? At some point, something is not going to be feminist. I'd say it's Dapper Laugh saying he's a feminist on news. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's my line. <laughs> but it's, it's like, I, this thing I talk about, or try to talk about on stage, is that it's like, you know, <laughs> feminism is the, what I say is feminism is like the reverse of a bread roll because <laughs> like a bread roll is just one thing, but in some places it's a balm, and some places it's a stotty and earthen bottom and things. But feminism is the reverse of that. It's different things all given the same name. So it's and that's what's difficult because you don't get to tell someone else that they're what is wrong. Um, you just have to I don't know mute them on Twitter. <laughs> it is really hard because I don't really I'm still figuring out what my one is. Because it changes all the time as yeah. I try and not just be like, 
well, you know, access it through my own. I'm a white and I went to private school for a bit and I'm incredibly lucky. So this is my feminism. And I have to like, there's, there's more to it than that. So trying to, so like I'm striving to be a, a better one. I, I guess. Think, I think you already are a good one. I think I like, Thank you. That's what that was about. <laughs> Dealing with your privilege, to use that buzz, like not a buzzword, that makes it sound like not an important word. To dealing with your privilege is something that's different, I think, to dealing with. I think it's much, I think it's basically, I would like everyone to understand, like, accept that they can be feminist and be confused about what that means. Like, I'm happy to be English, but I also hate England. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I hate it so much. And like, but that's fine, I can understand that I am it, but then I'm within it, I have problems with what it means. But I accept it. England. It's just so bad. Like, I was just in New Zealand, and it's like, everything is sort of the same, but it's so nice. Like, there's mountains everywhere. Yeah, you have about Wales more. That's what I want to do. Yeah, you got it all wrong. It, New South Wales, but New South Australia. <laughs> it was nice. But I think, yeah, I think you can, you can accept that you're a feminist and then deal with what it means. I think the barrier to accepting that you're a or saying that you're a feminist should be lower, is much lower than people think it is. Mm. Yeah. So, when did you realise you were funny women and wanted to do comedy or have a sort of comedy within your working life. I'll start with Missy. Um, well, I always wanted to do performing and I always wanted to write songs and then it just, I suppose, happened naturally, really. Um, I, I always, the songs that I, I was writing songs that were supposedly serious and they were about, I was really into Frank Zappa, so they just come out weird so I'd go on at a normal <laughs> night and there'd be like loads of people doing like love songs in A minor about the girlfriends and boyfriends and stuff and then I'd do a song about like an accountant called Martin who speared himself with a fry up every night before he went to sleep his parents are really worried about him and everything but go into great detail about his life and I used to try and sort of get like I wanted to write pop songs for other people for a bit and stuff like that where people just hear the accountant song and go, mm. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you quite if you quite fit into our world. But then, but then I dilly dallied a bit. I went um, did a lot of gigs on the gay circuit. I won a competition um, on, on the gay circuit and then did some gigs there and and then um, sort of did all the lots of different types of gigs, cabaret gigs. And then after a while, I was like, right, I'm ready to try the sort of open mic comedy circuit. But it was like I had to sort of skate around it a little bit and, and go, oh, where do I fit in before? But I think early on I realised that I loved making people laugh um, and it was always songs first for me rather than speech. So I did a song that looking back was horrendous with about three chords in it when I was at college about the perfect guy. Um, was it Martin? It wasn't Martin actually, <laughs> although, you know, I'm happily engaged now, but you know, if I, hypothetically, if I met a guy to fry up, so it wouldn't be a no-no for me. You know? <laughs> I just had to sort of learn to live with it. I just had to change the sheets a lot. <laughs> but, he can change the sheets? Yeah, he, he can change that. the sheets, yeah. I met you, I was in the proverbial year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you, could. you could come yeah. and live with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for me it was always songs. The first time that I performed a song that I'd written that was supposed to be funny, that got a laugh was the best feeling really because I'd written it as well as, as, as performing it. God, mine's gonna seem shallow now, isn't it? Um, That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have always been a chronic show off. Yeah. And um, yeah, youngest of three by a big stretch, only girl, always just been a big old show off. And then at some point I realised that I think being funny 
uh, was the quickest way to get the most amount of people to pay attention to me. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'll just do that then. Yeah. Um, and I had started... Uh, go on, Karen. I was going to say, you've got to be funny initially, haven't you? Which you are. So it's that thing where you are already funny and it's like you're learning how to... Yeah, it's, it's weird, I don't still see myself as funny, even though it's what I do, so it's weird. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, because I remember, I used to do like dramas, if I like doing plays and things, and uh, I didn't like learning lines, because I was like, don't want to say other people's words, and I really liked writing. And it was mad, now I look back, I was, when I was like 15 or 16, I was writing loads of comedy for this, this like, little drama club I was in, doing loads of performing. And at no point someone said, well, it should be comedy that you do. They were like, I suppose you want to be an actress. And, and I didn't, but I was like, I, I, yeah, okay. And then sort of like when, I, I suppose this is what I'm going to pretend to do for a bit. I never really pursued it to any great deal. And then when I found stand-up, I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I was meant to do. So yeah, I just, I think when I was like about 21, 22, um, yeah, I did a comedy course, which was a waste of everyone's time. Um, <laughs> don't go do them. And then, uh, and then I just sort of started doing it. But yeah, I loved it because I loved it because the thing, one of the many things that didn't really appeal to me about acting is you have to decide. Someone else has to decide to give you a chance. And the thing about standing is you do it, and if you're good, you just get on. That's it's like such a meritocracy like that. So you just decide to do your job and you do it, and no one can go, well, you're not thin enough, or you're not this, or you're not right for this part, or that person's got more TV credit. Actually, that does happen later on. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought it was. I just thought it was really enabling. So yeah. Do you think comedy has a currency to make a difference and to, to reach people in a way that other genres can't? Ooh. Uh, of course, well, I would like to say yes, otherwise I would, I would stop doing it. But um, <laughs> um, I wish the Arts Council would realise that and, and stop giving everything else but stand-up funding. Because I think great stand-up um, can generally make a difference and, and, and affect a change. Like I try and sneak stuff in. So I do, I've got like a bit that I do about, this is true, uh, crabs, pubic hair lice are dying out um, because of the destruction of their natural habitat. Which is <laughs> amazing. So gorgeous, isn't it? Um, so I do a bit about, like, you can do some little bits, and, and it ends on uh, me saying um, to my uh, boyfriend that as well as being an air outstanding natural beauty, it's also a conservation zone. <laughs> and there's nothing more glorious as a feminist than having, like, that get a round of applause in Bristol John. Like, my hairy fanny getting a round of applause in Bristol Junglers is like, mm, yeah! <laughs> and it's like, so it's sneaking stuff in, because, like, that's how I try, it's like, stealth politics. That's why I try and do it, that if you can like take an idea, because I that's why I try and write stuff, I take an idea I want to talk about and I go, okay, how can I make this something I would want to listen to? Because I like th that's when it strays away when you start being like, and another thing you should think, and you know, being pious, but I think it's amazing because you can just sneak information over and then they'll laugh along and, and then hopefully when they leave they'll go, oh, like something will sink in there. So yeah, I think it, I think it can be. So you're like a comedy ninja. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's nice, comedy ninja. <laughs> <laughs> Although with the sequins, it's going yeah. <laughs> So what you make people laugh, Issy, what never fails to make you piss yourself off in? Well, I, I don't tend to laugh at the kind of stuff that I do, weirdly. I think <laughs> you end up... <laughs> You end up doing what's most natural for you to do. I think it takes trial and error. It took me a long time to go, oh yeah, I want to tell long stories with songs in them, basically, where I sing in character and 
um, I don't have that many short bits. And I wish I had more stuff like that. I think I... What, crabs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't worry, I've run that door. <laughs> <laughs> sideways, though, yeah? <laughs> 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 that's how you to wait to a section. That was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... Um, I tend to write more stories about people rather than stuff about myself, I suppose. Although I do write more stuff about myself than I used to. Um, uh, but what I tend to laugh at, hmm, I, I mean, the kind of stand-ups I like, I don't think are, are that similar to me. Like, I really like Simon Amstel, I don't think he's Phil Kay. Um, I love, uh, there's only a few, and I love those people who are my mates, but that, that feels very weird to, to say their names. So I love lots and lots of women's stand-ups as well, but because they're like well, some of my best mates, it's always very strange. But I think Phil Kay's probably the best person I've ever seen live because he just, um, so if anyone's seen him, but he just sort of does uh, something seemingly spontaneous and he seems somehow to, to capture the joy and the misery of life at once. And for me, that's, I think, the secret of stand-up. Um, really, if you and I don't think you should realise that that's going on. I think people want to feel all together and they want to feel that there is hope, but also that life is completely flawed. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think that comedy has got the absolutely the power to. I mean, like Kiri said, it, that's the amazing thing about it. you can think of an idea and then be on stage that night trying it, and um, then there's no other medium like that really. And think theatre's got the power to change stuff as well. But as a stand-up, you're very powerful, and that can be good and bad, because then you've got people like Dapper Laughs, I suppose, yeah. who, you know, who says stuff that I think is, is wrong, and other people think is right, but everyone's got a different opinion about it. Yeah. But I think when, any, when anyone says anything that's an opinion and works it into stand-up, um, I don't think anyone could take offence at the crowd and be like, no, all women must shame. But maybe something more political or, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? That people, people are always going to agree and disagree with it. So for that reason, depending on your viewpoint, you might think that it's good that comedy is powerful or that it's bad. Because if you think of like misogynist comedy from really not that long ago and some that's around now, yeah, yeah. It, people love it. I think it's really interesting that uh, comedy is in like the entertainment sections when you look at magazines and things, and like it's like the art section and then the entertainment section, mm -hmm. and comedy is in the entertainment section, which I think is really interesting, especially like at this kind of festival where there's such an interchange between theatre and comedy, like you know, you, and and shows like this where this all fits within sort of the thing of comedy, but we're sitting in the entertainment section. I think that's really, I think that's really powerful. But and the whole thing of people being like, we just need engagement, they need engagement so bad. And I think comedy doesn't suffer from that, you know, whereas theatre does suffer from the sort of the demographics of people who go and see it and the sort of the echo chamber idea of people just yeah. who already agree seeing going to theatre and seeing something they agree with. But um, so I think comedy yeah, it really has power to be a really powerful currency. I think Sarah is a great representation of that. Like, she's just a very funny person. And then in your show, you're saying how, I don't devote the end of your show, but it's basically people being like, we love Sarah. Yeah, yeah. And that's the change in yeah. which that she is affected. It, she represents to some people a funny woman that they can all get behind. Mm -hmm. yeah. When I've asked Sarah about being a feminist, she says that she might not 
talk about specifically in her shows, but just by doing what she does, and by being as successful as she is, that's feminist in itself. Yeah, totally, yeah. She's one woman in those huge arenas, mm -hmm. and she has all the power, and, and everyone is listening to her, and it's not a comp and she doesn't have to talk about it. I think even not having to apologise or explain why you're there, that's really powerful. And that's what you see in sort of the best feminist thinkers and like speakers who don't necessarily call themselves feminists. I guess it's how we like interact with pop stars as well. It's like we allow them a voice and like an image and they get to choose their music. But then actually that's interesting, isn't it? Because you talk about Svengali figures and like the men in the background. And you were talking in your show about how people still think that female comics have their material written by men. Like that's a, com a comment people have all the time. <laughs> My boyfriend did write a crab bit. That's <laughs> true. Did he start that one? <laughs> <laughs> God, do people really think that? No one's ever asked me about that. Maybe it's something that I just assume. Let's, let's clear it up, let's clear it up now. Listen, who writes your material? God. <laughs> 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 God is gender neutral. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm going to It's not a man. <laughs> no, I, I do. Um, what did you want to be as a kid? Was it was it comedy? I wanted to, I used to say to my parents, uh, me and Samira Sabai, who was a boy in my school, we were going to go around the world in a helicopter saving all the animals. <laughs> so that was a very clear idea that I had. Is that a genuine career choice? Uh, I, I went to private school, I was told I could do anything. <laughs> um, yeah, and well that is the other thing, that my parents, um, so I'm uh, a farmer's daughter, and um, and you probably all think I met my dad. My mum's the farmer. Ooh. <laughs> and and I, my brothers are older. And growing up on a farm, there was things I couldn't do. But it was I was never told it was because I was a girl. It was only just because I was little. And as soon as I was big as the boys, I'd be able to do the same things. So I had I totally had that self belief as a kid. And and like a primary school, I remember playing football because all the boys were. I didn't like football, but I thought, well, I'm not going to be the only one not playing it. So, you know, just doing things that I thought, like, well, that's the space that I should be in. And um, so, yeah, I, I obviously thought that helicopters was also a space I should be occupying, <laughs> yeah. saving all the animals. What, even the ones in the sea? Don't have them do I, I'll be honest, Nikki, I've not thought it through. Um, this is also at the time I used to say, um, when I have children, I want one black baby and one white baby. And if I'd stuck at home, that would have been absolutely fine as well. That's normal. But... <laughs> I uh, that was I had some very clear ideas about the world. How do you do it from the helicopter? Throw food at them? Um, I, I mean that's for someone else to sort out. <laughs> and the ideas man. Uh, it would it would have got full quickly, but maybe you could have had centres that you drop them off at. See? Oh, you pick them up with the helicopter. I don't know, do I? As a five-year-old, I didn't think my idea would get this much scrutiny. <laughs> Dragon's Den, <laughs> If anyone can work out how we can get Kimmy to fulfil her dream now that Jimmy Sutton's gone. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want to be as a kid, Amy? Oh, I always used to think this was quite a charming thing, but I actually think it makes me sound like an egomaniac. So I really wanted to be the President of America. <laughs> and I, yeah, I remember telling someone, being like, this is going to be so charming. And they were like, Oh God! <laughs> um, I try to not do it anymore. But yeah, I said this. My dad's American, so I was just like, yeah, fine. That's like, can you please run because it's looking really dodgy? <laughs> yeah. um, I actually, guys, I actually volunteered for the Obama campaign. Thank you very much. Uh, in 2012, so the easy year when he was definitely going to win. Um, and 
it was really interesting going out there. And that, I think that was it. I mean, it was, I don't, I can't remember how old it was in 2012. But that was the time I was like, I'm not going to do this. You were four years younger than you are now. So bad at that. No, society just told it you are. Yeah, but I am. But I'm great. But yeah, I remember that was. So it took me a very long time to accept that I wasn't going to be the president. But it's a lot of work. So you don't get a lot of sleep. I really like sleep. You always go grey in the job, which I think is the reason that it's so scary that David Cameron say is not all grey. Yeah, yeah. He eight hours a night sleep. He said that in an interview. You should not get that much if you're the Prime Minister. How, how, how much does he get? Eight. Oh, it's too much. Gross. That's why he's not going grey. Honestly, oh, I'd say that's the worst thing he's done. It's <laughs> 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 thing that, like, if you spoke to anyone from any political identity, you'd be like, yeah, 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 fine, I get your conservative. Do you know he sleeps eight hours a night? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. God. <laughs> Unless that's how much sleep all politicians should get, and Margaret Thatcher was just wrong in that sense. She used to get like two hours, didn't she? Four, four, four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was just well. so she could recharge the battery, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 what did you want to be when you were little? I just always wanted to be an actress, always. Yeah, yeah. Apart from um, uh, about two weeks, I jumped off a bridge for a bet um, for a pound into a shallow river because it was rainy. It looked deeper than it was, <laughs> and I landed with my foot at right angles to my ankle um, and broke it in quite an odd way. So I had to have the cast on. Uh, for a while and I couldn't walk from it. So I got really into Wimbledon because I just sat on the sofa and I've never watched tennis before. So then I decided for those sort of two or three weeks I was going to be a tennis player and that that was much more realistic than being an actress. Um, despite the fact that I've never played tennis in my life and I'm not that sporty. Um, but basically my daydreams consisted of me planning out what colour hair I was going to have and how I was going to entertain the people in the crowd between shots. So, <laughs> It was just another version of being a performer, but where I got to hit the ball a bit as well. And then I was like, Mom, why didn't you recognise I should be a tennis player? She was like, what? So me and my mate Caroline went to the park. I was like, right, I'm going to start making up for lost time. And I realised, I worked out if I practised every day before school, I could get really good. Then we went once at like six in the morning. I did like a few shots and I was like, let's go for a fag. <laughs> so that was the only time. I did set up a, um, like, so I always wanted to be like a performer, I suppose actress, because I didn't know a bit like Kiri was saying, I didn't know, everyone always used to say, oh, you want to be an actress, because I wanted to write stuff and songs especially. And, um, but because the people used to be like, oh, be an actress, because you like doing sketches as well. But I started this dating agency when I was about 12, um, <laughs> where we'd write, I'd write songs, I'd got, I used to write songs for other girls um, about a boy, so they'd like, so like Amy come to me, so I really fancy this guy called Darren. He's got brown hair and blue eyes, and his dad drives an Audi. Um, and then I'd be like, okay, I'll write a song about him. And then you'd give me like a mini baby bell, and I'd write it. And it would be like for him, from her point of view. Do you so, she would or did she perform it? Well, what would happen was that invariably the person in your shoes wouldn't want to perform it, yeah. so I'd perform it on your behalf. So it got very complicated, <laughs> we had to say, a song for Darren from Amy, and then I'd perform it. It was always on cassette tape, we haven't done it live. No, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. It's like that film with Steve Martin. Is 
it's really when you sort of pull back and you realise what do options do people have, young people have when they come out of any sort of education at all, like there's just not that interest in it. Like there's interest in bankers and there's interest, you know what I mean? There's just no interest in looking at what's available for young people. Yeah. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I was like a sixth former, and they would pair some sixth formers up with young people who were bright, but were in a social group usually where that was not cool. And I remember I got put with this girl called, um, a different name I'm going to change quickly, um, <laughs> Ellen. And um, Ellen, um, so I was like, yeah, it's totally, I was like, who's the best person in the world? Oh, Ellen. Um, and I got caught with her and I remember she was like, proper for Kibanga. And um, she, but she would never get lower than 98% on science and maths. She's incredibly bright, but used to hide her test results because she thought the friends would take a piss. So they set me up with her and they were like, try and get her to realise that there's something. And I remember being like sitting down, I was like, so, like have you thought about university? Because for me, I think I was, even though no one else in my family had been to university before, I was just going to go to university because that's obviously where I get my helicopter licence. Um, <laughs> and I remember sitting with her and I was like, so what do you want to do? And she's like, I don't know, I'll just like maybe get a job or something, like my cousin works somewhere. And I was like, well, I said, what about university? And she was like, mm. I just didn't get it. And I was like, you get money to get hammered. Like that—that that is what it is. You go and have fun for three years, fuck a load of people, and you get paid for it. And she was like, and then I like I would work with her for a bit, and then I just sort of didn't see her again. And then I was out for a night out, like years later, and I was hammered. And uh, she was like, she was like, Kitty, and I was like. Ellen, <laughs> and she was like, I did it, I went and got hammered, <laughs> yes, so she's like, I think she's, she's a scientist now, so like you can, like there has, but there has to be intervention somewhere, um, so what I'm saying is tell the young people to get shit faced, it works, you know the solution first, yeah. <laughs> they all just going at this, okay let's light it up a little bit, yeah. um, what is the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you, I'm going to start with this, see, Oh, yeah, um, more of that face. <laughs> God, well, I'm just trying to think. There's like this sort of rom-com thing that actually I, uh, isn't, I, in hindsight, that embarrassing. But I used to have this long skirt which was like um, net on the outside and then a skirt on the inside. And I went to the toilet and the inside bit had tucked into my knickers for ages and you could see them. But that just feels like something you'd write in it. It was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> ages um, but that's shit it feels like something you'd write and then you go let's take that out it doesn't feel like it's happened um do you put yourself in situations to see if you can get some gags out of it no my boyfriend my boyfriend is happy as well he does he but he complains now that we've got a baby that he that nothing interesting happens to him anymore and he has to try and like go to a festival or something and like meet people who talk in rhyme and stuff. <laughs> but um I think they're called rappers. Yes. <laughs> you tell how long it is since I've been there. Those people are talking rhyme. I'm just covered in babies. Um uh, no, she's 18 months now she doesn't she's not sick anymore but I still look up pretty much. But, um, I, yeah I genuinely don't think that I get embarrassed in the same way as the average person. I also think that where I'm from, um, in Matlock, I grew up with a group of girls where we'd just do stuff and then tell everyone, like, you know, we'd be like, I got thrush to everyone, we just didn't care. And because we were all like that, we just, that was the way we became. 
So I'm struggling. I had to. I'll have a little think while the others are talking. If anything. Mm. Okay. Yeah, but I can't, I can't think of anything that I'm not prepared to say and try and make it into material. <laughs> okay, in that case, is there anything that's kind of off bounds for you, material-wise? Is there anything that you think, I can't joke about that, it's too personal, or it's not right? Um, it's not right, I just not right. <laughs> I think if it, I think, I don't think there's anything that's off bounds generally to me. Like, if I'm watching someone else, um, uh, I think rape is always. I thought you were going to bite me up now. I didn't say rape. No, I know. I think um, she wasn't going to be like, oh, kittens. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what the joke about. Guinea you know? <laughs> pigs. I just can't. Um, I think the rape joke thing is a really interesting debate, and I think um, I I would never ever uh, write a joke about rape. I don't think. Um, uh, I think it's difficult because some people say there shouldn't be anything that's off bounds and comedy should be free speech. I think the secret to any joke, especially about something that's very delicate and powerful like that, where you are wielding so much power, is that you have to be very much the victim of the joke if you're telling it. Um, so sometimes I think a joke can appear to be about something very offensive, but actually it's not. It's about the person who's telling it being a bit of a dick in the joke. But I think then you still have to be so careful with what subject you choose because it, it can be so upsetting to people. I think you could say something lightly as a comic and not realise the connotation to people. So I think um, for me personally, there are things like that that I probably wouldn't joke about and that I don't find funny if I'm watching. I always think whenever I've seen a joke about rape, I've never failed to feel offended, I've never failed to think, I don't think you should have made that choice. Um, and for me personally, there were some things like my dad dying that I haven't ever talked about, just because I don't think I could say anything funny about it. It's not that I never would, but I think it, it had to get to a point where I felt it was funny enough for, to talk about it and, you know, and and to justify talking about it. I think when it's anything that isn't kind of something that naturally springs to mind, you have to think, right, is it is it the right approach and blah, blah. But to be honest, it's quite an organic process. Like, I bet you didn't necessarily sit down and think, oh, I want to write something about crab. Do you know what I mean? It's just something that comes into your head, isn't it? And you, and you think, oh, I'm excited about it. So I think, excited about crabs. Yeah, well, yeah, because you're thinking, oh my God, I can say this thing and it would be really brilliant. And, you know, so I think that's the way, any way to do comedy, to yeah. kind of think about things that make you excited and that you think you've got a unique approach to. And I would think that if you're approaching it, if you're thinking, how offensive can I be? Not that that was your question, but I'm just thinking about the opposite. Some people probably do think like that, don't yeah, they? Yeah, I know some people who do. Do they like think what can I say that's the most shocking thing? Yeah, I think there's a like with newer acts as well that there's a there's a thing that's they they haven't worked because it's a reaction and they're not used to getting one. Um, so them saying something horrendous and a crowd going ooh or that ooh and then a laugh, they're like ah yeah mm, delicious. But it's because that's a, it is a reaction as opposed to them just dying on their ass in a pub in Preston. So at least someone is reacting to what they're saying. Um, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I, I, like, I think 
I do have like not a joke about rape, but I use the word rape in the joke. It's about it's about rape apologists, and it's definitely on the right side of things. But just saying the word will change the air, like it like it did in here now because it's such a serious thing. It just changes the air, so it's I would just be like, look, because it's so hard to like go to the noise. I promise I'm on the right. I read the Guardian, guys. I've got a moon cup in right now. Like honestly, I'm on the right side. But can it be a little bit? Literally slapdash. With a, with a <laughs> I've got a pair of boots that are stained. Let's put it that way. Uh, pulled out too quick in a service station. Anyway, um, <laughs> did everyone thinking about moonka? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've heard a lot of people being like, "What is a moonka? Yeah. How does that work? Does anyone know what a moonka is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah come on. Several new bathmats over there. Know what a moonka is? <laughs> And um, that's the thing I've been pleasantly surprised by. Well, for a while I imposed on myself I wouldn't talk about periods or anything on stage, and it took a long while to, because I wrote a joke about it, and I was like, don't be that one, because you know, people are like, oh, talk about periods. So I was like, oh, put a ban on myself, and it was one of my male friends, I talk about this in my show, but he says to me, he's like, why don't you tell that joke? And I was like, I don't want to be the girl talking about periods. And he just, he leant forward and he said, if I had to bleed at the end of my dick for five days a month, it would be all I spoke about on or off stage. <laughs> more salacious topics I kind of want to talk about. And I do think you can make anything funny. I do a podcast about serial killers. So many layers, right guys? <laughs> and um, like we're very keen to make sure that we, and it's funny, it's two comedians doing it. Um, you always just have to make sure the victim is the right person. It's, it's never, it's never like the a serial thing. killer. Yes, absolutely. Make sure it's the gays. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? You just make sure it's the right, we never laugh at the, you know, the victims, we laugh at the incompetent police or the, you know, the crazy guy, it's nearly always a guy, um, that's done it. So I just think it's about picking your, or always making it's that punching up, not down thing, isn't it? So yeah. that's why I subscribe to. Cool, I'm just going to ask you guys one more question. What is the best bit of advice that you've ever been given for your career so far? Jump in. <laughs> <laughs> um, never apologise, never explain. Someone said to me once, and I was in a position of leadership, and obviously it's crazy. I, I actually don't know who said it. I know it's a Machiavellian ideal, which is basically just never apologise and you never explain. But it's such a female thing to do, to say yeah. sorry. sorry. Especially the word sorry, you don't even really, you're not actually apologising, you're just like, but maybe trying to get through a bar. You know, but just the idea that you're saying, it's just quite, it's like a, it's a power let go, right? It's like you're deflating yourself and you say, so, I mean, sorry. Oh my god, sorry guys. But I think it was good for me because it made me, it makes you think about what you're saying and what you're apologising for and what you just like accept and take on from other people just to get things going. Yeah. There's an app you can get which stops you saying, you can't write the word sorry, but, and, uh, no, maybe actually, but like it's just, it stops you just thinking about saying things like, Sorry, I just wanted to know if you'd done that work I asked for two, like three weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I wanted to know if you if you wanted, you know, to kick me in the butt one more time. Like, <laughs> it, it's just that really interesting thing. So I think that is good. Uh, mine's related to a gig as well, but mine's 
don't worry about what you can't control, which is something mm. my mum's always said to me. And that came to practice because I was at a gig in Edinburgh in 2005 when I got paid 20 quid to get off um, because I was dying so hard. <laughs> um, and uh, I accepted the 20 pounds. So it was like this eternity while it wave its way down from the back row. And I had the guitar and I just like, playing a minor for ages until it, got, it was like a tenor and two fivers. <laughs> um, but when I got off, I was like, oh God. And I started to really worry about gigs because suddenly I saw the potential for any audience member to pay me 20 quid to get off. And I was like, actually, this is an awful job. Like, you know, I started to think about it so much, overanalyze it and think about it from the audience's point of view and stuff. And I remembered that, that was the first time I really put it into practice. I remember mum always saying that and I was like, actually I can't control that, but I can control what room I'm in a similar. Like I, I feel like tonight I've basically just been like, basically like Kiri just said, but it is like what you just said. I was like, I don't want to do gigs like this anymore. I don't want to do gigs where there's like me doing 20 minutes in a room in Edinburgh with, with like three other blokes at night in a room with loads of staggering head nights in it, where I was especially then doing quite gentle material. It was like stories and stuff. And then so I went back the next year and did like a show on my own in an early slot in a different room and that was because of that, yeah, don't worry about what you can't control, concentrate on what you can control. And then when you think about what you can control, you can sort of act, act creatively. Great. That's, that's pretty much all we've got time for. And we are Standard Issue Magazine. You can find us at www.standardissuemagazine.com. Please check us out. Um, it's something different and we'll never make you feel inferior. We'll always make you feel great and hopefully give you a laugh or make you cry because we to mix it up. Um, and also we just started a membership scheme. So for as little as £10 a year, you can help keep us going and we will call you a hero, a champion or a legend. Um, so thank you very much for coming and being such a smashing audience. Please join me in thanking Henry and everyone at MacFest for making this a great festival. Um, downloading and listening to this standard issue podcast just a reminder that all our podcasts are available at standardissuemagazine.com slash podcasts and on itunes please rate review and enjoy <laughs>